Truth Espresso, episode 112. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. friends, this is your host Daniel Minnick for Truth Espresso with yet another episode and we are going to continue the series talking about marriage after a one week hiatus there and to continue the series on marriage we're going to have a little fun episode here discussing reviewing a book together and here to talk about this very special book is my wife, Chelsea. And so, Chelsea, welcome back to Truth Espresso. Hey, babe. Thanks for having me. Oh, yes. It's always wonderful to have my sweet, beautiful wife as a special guest on Truth Espresso. And speaking of special books, do you want to talk about your recent release? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So, we did have uh, an episode... Two weeks ago, mentioning the book release for When the Watchtower Knocks, discussing an encounter with Jehovah's Witnesses that my brother John co-authored with me, and that book is out. It's available on Amazon right now. I'm working to get it on some other platforms too, but right now you can get it on Amazon in print or in Kindle, or you could even get it specially autographed and I'll mail you a copy if you want to go that route. I've set it up on the Truth Espresso donation page. You can get to that by going to truthespresso.com forward slash donate, and that will take you to a cool page hosted by buymeacoffee.com where you can find some cool little extras there. There's an ebook that you can get for just a buck, and you can donate to get a signed copy of When the Watchtower Knocks from yours truly. You can also even get my older book, from way back in 2011 entitled Freedom to Give, The Biblical Truth About Tithing. And that book is its like a lethal weapon. It's so big. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know it's over 500 pages. That's kind of my uh, magnum opus at the time of research on the topic of tithing. And so that's available too. I have some books I can sign and mail out if you'd like a copy of that. That's truthspresso.com forward slash donate. And of course, I have the link to donate in the show notes where you can find all of that available. But I'd highly recommend if you like a personally signed copy of When the Watchtower Knocks, you just go to the little donate page there and help us out there and we'll help you to a book. Yay, that's so exciting. (laughs) And so now on to the topic at hand, we're going to discuss a book that we both read, uh, kind of skimmed through some of the highlights, uh, read some salient sections on it, and this book is not new. It's been out for a while, about two decades, (laughs) and it's immensely popular. It's also infamous. It is created to be his helpmeet. 
by Debbie Pearl. It tells you that you can, quote, discover how God can make your marriage glorious. And so, according to Debbie Pearl, if you follow her advice in her book, Created to Be His Helpmeet, you can have a glorious marriage. So, sweetheart, would you like to discuss and figure out if we agree that this book, following the advice in the book, Created to Be His Helpmeet, will give us a glorious marriage? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> So I remember first hearing about this book when I was invited to attend a women's Bible study and we were going through this book kind of learning about how we as women can be good wives to our husbands and this book was rather shocking to me about some of the information she provided in there so I'm really looking forward to kind of getting your perspective as a man and what your thoughts are on this book as well because I know I kind of ran into some barriers with the women that were in that Bible study they were in agreement with Debbie Pearl on a lot of things that I wasn't. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think this will be a fun discussion as we kind of have both sides of perspectives, like both from a husband and from a wife, having it more balanced, I guess. Yes, definitely, sweetheart. I think that this is what a marriage is designed for, to have husband and wife as one flesh to talk about things like a book like Created to Be His Helpmeet and to see where we can come to an agreement as to what this book is about and is it helpful or not in a marriage. And I remember as you were going to this Bible study and you'd ask me questions about this was back not long after we were married, I think uh, maybe a year or something, a year or two. <laughs> but, Definitely you in know, the first year. <laughs> yeah, maybe in the first year there. And I remember, you know, you telling me about what you talked about in the study and then some of the questions that were raised and the advice of this book. And then I... I wasn't quite happy about some of the things that Debbie Pearl was telling the readers there. And yeah, so I let you know some of my opinions about it. And I think some of that is going to come out in our discussion. Basically, I didn't think that the book was really fit to... It, it it didn't supply what I think um, Debbie is advertising about a glorious marriage there, to say the least. Mm. <laughs> I, I kind of did say, you know, I think it should be thrown in the trash or burned, but, you know, <laughs> we'll find out why as we you know, talk about uh, some of the problems, some of the issues that we see in this book. <laughs> and I think it is kind of important to just put out there that if someone has read the book or is curious and wants to read it, that there are, of course, you know, some good tidbits in there as well. Oh, so if yeah. you're looking through it and you're like, wait, she said this and this was really good. You know, of course, there are some good points in there as well. We're not saying that the entire thing is full of error, but I think that because there are some errors in there that can also cause a lot of confusion especially for women that are reading this and wanting to be a good wife and be supportive and have that glorious marriage. Like that is our desire for both husband and wife. Like we want to have a good marriage. So I think that's kind of the deceitful part of this. So. <laughs> yes, I, I, I would agree. There are some good things in the book, things like talking about being joyful and being thankful, you know, things like that, at least in concept, 
But it's kind of like for what's good in there, I think it's just not enough. And there's just so much that's not good about this book that it's not like something that I can encourage people to go get and just, you know, eat the meat and spit out the bones. I think there's, you know, it's like there's just too much there that would present a problem such that it's not worth the good that's in there. So where do we start here? Well, why don't we start with where Debbie Pearl starts at the beginning of the book, where she talks about how she and her husband, Michael Pearl, met. And so Michael Pearl was the pastor of the church that Debbie was going to. And she mentions that she had a teenage crush on her pastor. You know, when she was 13, you know, she... She was attracted to him, and and she wondered if he looked at her when when she was 13. This is on page 13 of the book, and that just doesn't set well with me. Now, I know there are times and places where, you know, someone can even get married at 13, you know, stuff like that, but... To me, it it just didn't sit well that there's this basically this child having a crush on a young single pastor the way she did as a young teenager. And from her story, you know, she was basically uh, when she got older, she was about 20, I believe. And he was, uh, I think, 25 And she was um, kind of a secretary there. So Pastor Michael would have her sometimes go on ministry activities, but they would be separated where he would minister to men, she would minister to women. But then one time they went to this uh, ministry activity, ministering to what she described as like hippie type people. So they were ministering together for the first time here. And it seemed like this was described basically as their first date together. And so on their first date together after their ministry, um, from what I can tell from the account that this was their first activity, this is their first date, it was ministry related it resulted in them getting engaged at the end of the evening you know <laughs> uh, so on page 14 it mentions that you know she kind of gave this verbal hint that as he baptized this boy you know she she would like to give him a little boy like that and then he kind of did some goofy antics and then basically uh, told her let's get married and eight days later was their wedding day mentioned on page 15 and so yeah she pitches that that's her love story basically and as I read that sweetheart I'm like scratching my head thinking is this supposed to be any kind of example or model for other people like this too could be your love story if you do things right and it's like okay you know the very first date you get engaged and eight days later you get married it didn't seem like there was enough time really to get to know each other beyond the childhood crush that she had (laughs) yes and i remember that was it our tips for singles that we were talking about being a friend first with a person that you could see like okay that could be a potential mate and just getting to know that person better and seeing them in different situations and different roles just to see who that person is and is that someone that you feel like would be a good mate. 
and that was not portrayed in their <laughs> relationship in the short eight days of <laughs> engagement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they, they got to know each other basically for eight days before they got married. <laughs> well, I mean, they knew each other's uh, prior and in, in some kind of uh, ministry activities that weren't really together, but kind of more as a employer employee type of relationship. But yeah, it, it does not sound very exemplary to me, you know, if that's what we're supposed to get out of that. And then as Debbie explains, you know, they're the first part of their marriage was quite rocky, which, you know, to me would say, well, yeah, because you haven't even gotten to know each other much. And so you didn't know each other's strengths and weaknesses and faults and, and so on like that. And yeah, jumping into marriage pretty quickly like that is going to be kind of rough uh, when you haven't gotten to know each other yet. Another thing that I know this is just my opinion, but, you know, I kind of have an issue with the, the whole idea of single pastors like this. You know, Michael at the time was a single pastor, you know, dating one of his staff. And to me, it's just not really an ideal situation of having a young 20-something single guy pastoring a church and someone like Debbie, who's a young single woman on staff. To me, it just... I'd prefer a pastor who's married and has kids who can be an example for me if I if someone's going to be preaching and teaching about how husbands should love their wives and how they should rear their kids and so on that they're living examples of that and so I know that there are good single pastors it's just I personally would prefer a pastor to be someone who's married and has kids but <laughs> or at least yes. has some um, life experience because yes. according to that timeline he was a pastor at the age of 18 if he's five years older than her and she had a crush on her pastor when she was 13 he would have been 18 years old when he was a pastor yeah. and I like to think scientifically sometimes, <laughs> but <laughs> yes. there's a brain study that shows that your brain isn't actually fully developed until you're 25 years old. And the last part of your brain to develop is the part that helps you understand consequences, which is amazing because we put so much responsibility on kids when they turn 18. We expect them to be adults and make all these decisions and have so many responsibilities but their brain isn't even fully developed to be able to even comprehend if I do this, then this will happen. They don't understand that. And then we get frustrated with them because they don't. But it's actually because their brain hasn't fully developed in that. So having yeah. someone in the pastorate at that age yeah. and, like you said, leading people and teaching people mm -hmm. is, okay, maybe he could be single, but you would want a single pastor who's yeah. had more experience yes. in life, who's had trials, who's experienced things that, and I think that that's what would be a good shepherd for the people. <laughs> yes, definitely. And first Timothy three, five and six, where it says, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So I would think an 18-year-old pastoring would be a novice, you know, yeah. <laughs> unless he'd been living the life of kind of being a pastor-type person for, you know, since he was like 10 years old or something, you know. I, I don't see how an 18-year-old could not be a novice, but... 
Yeah, just it's just my opinion that's not really the biggest beef with this book here because we, we're just looking at the intro, the love story that's presented. And so now let's look at what Debbie Pearl tells the reader, tells women that she's counseling about how to have a glorious marriage. And what is a woman's sole purpose for existing, according to Debbie Pearl? Uh, she says on page 21, quote, If you are a wife, you were created to fill a need. And in that capacity, you are a good thing, a helper suited to the needs of a man. This is how God created you, and it is your purpose for existing, unquote. So it seems that Debbie Pearl thinks that the only purpose for any woman, any female, to exist on this earth, in this life, is to be a helpmeet, in her understanding, for a man by being a wife. So there's no role for single women, you know, in Debbie Pearl's world other than a teenager looking to become a wife at some point. And it seems like what girl in this view is not going to be miserable until she finally gets married. <laughs> in, in some ways, I feel that that perception kind of minimizes the value of women. Because it's almost saying that, like you mentioned, the only purpose for a woman is to be married and mm. be a wife. And that can yeah, put a lot of pressure on you to find someone. And then if mm. you never do get married, then she basically says, like, doesn't she say you're a failure or? Oh, yes. I have the quote for that. I think that mm. you're talking about for the for an older woman who never got a husband, you know, basically. Yeah. Um, so she says on page 58, quote, when a woman gets old and realizes there is no man to love and cherish her, it is sad indeed, for she has failed in the very purpose for which she was created to be a suitable helper to a man, unquote. So, yeah, she has no role for single women. And, you know, the Apostle Paul seems to say that there's roles for both single and married men and women in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But Debbie Pearl seems to have overlooked that passage of scripture. She also says on page 97, quote, God made us women to be helpmeets, and it is in our physical nature to be so, unquote. So she makes a big hullabaloo about the uh, term helpmeet here and how women are designed to be helpmeets. Now, of course, naturally, that's the title of her book, Created to be His Helpmeet. That is the theme of this book. That is the whole argument of this book is to say that women were created to be a man's helpmeet. So how does Debbie Pearl reason this? Well, she talks about how God created Eve in Genesis chapter 2 to be Adam's helpmeet. And then she seems to project that as if that represents every man, every woman. So every woman is like Eve created specifically to be a helpmeet for a man like Adam. 
I don't see in the Bible where that is the case. I think she's projecting much there to make the whole case for her book because the book is all about that role and explaining that role in kind of shocking ways, which we'll look at to show how she understands what it means for a wife to be a helpmeet for a husband. But to say that a woman is created, that's her purpose for existing. She is designed entirely to fulfill that role. So in Genesis one twenty-seven, it's telling us that God created man in his image. He created man and woman equally. There isn't a, like, one doesn't have more of God's image than the other. Mm-hmm. And I think that when she uses that illustration of God creating woman for man, that she kind of sets up the process of woman's whole purpose is to be a servant for the man because, you know, she came from the man. And I think that is kind of what I was thinking earlier, that it almost devalues a woman because Mm. it's saying like that somehow she's lesser than the man. And I think there's quite a few examples in this book where that's demonstrated as well. But I think scripture clearly tells us that man and woman are equally created in the image of God. Yes, men and women have different roles. Mm. We have different strengths. We have different weaknesses. And that's why he made man and woman to help each other. Mm-hmm. It's not one has to be higher than the other and like this constant struggle between who's <laughs> in control or <laughs> who's yeah. subordinate. It's like we talked about earlier, you're on the same team. It's coming together and helping each other. And, and our purpose in life is not for being married. Mm-hmm. God made us so we're his image bearers. He made us so we can share his love with other people. That's our purpose, to share Christ with others. If we do that while we're single, that's a lot easier. You don't have these other responsibilities. And that's kind of what Paul was talking Mm, about in his passages. And when you're married, then you do that as a team. When you have children, you do that as a family. You are constantly trying to point people to Christ. And that's what our purpose is not the purpose of being wife because that can change <laughs> yes. and some people will never get that title and then according to debbie like we read then you're a failure and no that is totally absurd <laughs> exactly what if for some odd reason a particular woman couldn't get a man you know to get married you know like that makes her a failure like well now of course you know i think that rarely would be the case but you know if a woman is discerning you know she wants a man of good character if she sees you know men for who they are she wants someone who's going to serve god with her and if no man who wants to serve god shows interest in her you know it's not her failure it's it's her discernment there and as we mentioned the apostle paul in first corinthians 7 he gives the examples of the roles of people both married and unmarried and how they both have the blessing of how they serve god in that way and like with debbie pearl's advice there's so much fear of being a failure by not 
being this help me for a man that I think it would set up quite a few women to just fall for or jump at the first man who shows interest. And often a lot of men who are just so forward like that are the ones who would turn out to be abusive, you know. I think a a man who shows patience, as we talked about, becoming a friend, learning each other, and postponing romantic type of expressions while getting to know each other and being friends first demonstrates maturity. But, you know, I don't see any room for that in Debbie's advice here. And I think a lot of women would end up, you know, with the fear that this book expresses could jump into into some very bad relationships and then Debbie's advice for how they should handle the situation leaves much to be desired Mm. as we will see because things are we're just getting started here and things are going to go pretty downhill from here unbelievers now have no excuse to misinterpret the bible like they ever did Interpreting the Bible has never been easier or less expensive. Get your copy of What Does It Mean to Me? This teaches and demonstrates the importance of biblical interpretation. Proper biblical interpretation is the difference between truth and error, life and death, heaven and hell. This is created for your sinos. That's your Christians in name only. Readers will stop asking, what does this mean to me? And start asking, what does it mean? Get your copy of What Does It Mean to Me at trackplanet.com or on amazon.com today. You want to get this before it's too late. So, shall we move on to... (laughs) Debbie's example of how she thinks uh, a typical man acts by virtue of her husband, like how this is an example of manhood, manliness. This is chapter four, pages 40 through 42 of the book. The section is called My Jolly Playmate. The story is also retold on the website NoGreaterJoy.org, an article called Bitterness or Fun, Your Choice. And so she, (laughs) I mean, it's humorous if it weren't, you know, kind of sad or frustrating, you know, disturbing. But uh, so Debbie uh, talks about how her husband, Michael, tried to show off his strength by throwing a loaded trash bag into the dumpster. And as he was doing this, basically the elastic, you know, that holds the bag closed broke and the trash flew everywhere. And Debbie was left to pick up the mess because um, her husband, Michael, just kind of slumped off embarrassed, but he left her to pick up the mess he made. Debbie says, quote, It is funny that men think women are so difficult to understand, but can you imagine a woman showing off, flinging a heavy garbage sack, and then having dumped it, leaving it for someone else to clean up? Having come to this lofty understanding of the male ego, I knew Big Papa would be looking for another chance to take out the trash, unquote. <laughs> 
So basically, her assessment of the male ego by virtue of her husband is that he's looking forward to another chance to show off his strength, but to see if he could hurl this trash bag into the dumpster. But he has no scruples about leaving the potential mess there for his wife to pick up. You know, I guess that's beneath him. So why didn't he help her with this? Why is it that he gets to try to show off his strength but be irresponsible for his own action? And now, may I remind you that, remember, in the opening story, Debbie said that this was her crush on her pastor. So this man was a pastor of a church. Is this really the model for a pastor to do this? You know, as a man of the word, you know, how is he working out First Peter 3, 7 that tells husbands to dwell with them, for referring to their wife, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And I think a lot of things that this book talks about, it seems to skip over this admonition for husbands toward her wives. You know, I could just picture Pastor Michael Pearl pre- Preaching up to about what husbands ought to do, but not telling them to pick up the garbage that they unnecessarily leave on the ground for their wives to pick up because they wanted to somehow be macho and all that. <laughs> I think I don't know, this story kind of irks me too. <laughs> but I think that I'm not actually quite sure where Debbie finds that whole situation being macho. <laughs> I mean, I guess kind of trying to chuck the trash bag into the dumpster. But I would think most women actually would see it being more macho or manly mm. for her husband to help pick up the trash that got spilled everywhere. Like that (laughs) servanthood, that humility is like so much more than, Mm -hmm. oh, look at me, I can carry this trash bag. I mean, of course, I know it's important for us women to praise our husbands and admire their muscles and look at all the trash bags or grocery bags you can carry in one arm. And like, that's good to demonstrate that admiration for your husband. But at the same time, I think that when our husbands are exemplifying how Christ loves the church Mm -hmm. and that is what they're commanded to do, getting down and picking up nasty trash off the ground, to me, that is showing Christ's love for your wife. And so I just don't get that scenario whatsoever and how it's... um, Yeah, yeah. I don't see how anyone reads this and could say, aw, to that, you know, like, oh, that's so cute, you know, Um, yeah, as we'll see, you know, examples of Jesus with his disciples, you know, we'll see later how Jesus gives the example that you'd think if Jesus were an example, he would have picked up the trash, and I know it doesn't demonstrate male macho muscles to pick up trash on the ground that's spilled out of the trash bag, but yes, a man can do that. He doesn't have to only demonstrate how strong he is. He could demonstrate how strong his tenderness is by picking up his own trash, you know. (laughs) If we tell kids pick up the mess we can tell uh grown-up kids that are married to to pick up their trash (laughs) so her understanding as she said this lofty understanding of the male ego 
I would like to say that men are more, or they at least they should be more than brutes and apes, but it seems like Debbie seems to describe uh, men or husbands this way a lot more than they should be, or that they should expect it to be more than that. There's an issue of maturity, too, and a mature man, and one who is a pastor and a role model for a church shouldn't act like an ogre carrying out base male impulses. A mature man, a husband, a father, a pastor should be strong but gentle. Um, He should be masculine but tender. A, A mature man has both qualities here, not just strength but tenderness. A mature man doesn't burden his wife with senseless tasks like picking up trash that he spilled. A good value to teach children, as I said, is that if you make a mess, clean it up. You know, So be an example to your children that way. And then we get to uh, finish up this little story of her playmate, where Debbie also describes a second later garbage incident, you know, where uh, Michael gets to show off his strength again. And afterwards, they impulsively shared passions, you know, after she posed for him. She explains to the reader, quote, it gets him every time. It sure is handy being a woman, unquote. So she thinks it's cute, but I think it's a little too much information there. She sure likes to share too much information to a a reader to reassure how glorious their marriage is. But it sounds like she has this way of controlling him behind the scenes, like, This is her way of manipulating him, not through her words, I guess, but through her subtle actions. And I guess that's her way of saying, you know, my silly husband's also my playmate. You know, don't, wouldn't you like a playmate too? You know, (laughs) (laughs) I cannot stand that part. I think, like you said, she gives way too much information for one and yeah her comment that it sure is handy being a woman Hmm. is just sickening because i think there's so often in proverbs where it tells men to not be deceived by beauty and charm Hmm. and i just feel like this whole scenario goes against what proverbs is constantly Hmm. saying about how women should act how men should respond to women acting like this and Mm, i don't know i just think to me it's like disrespectful to men and disrespectful to women to think that this is how you should act in marriage and i just think it's disturbing so yeah it seems like she wants to present this as a model for marriage but she wants to present the husband as being like this as i said earlier ape (laughs) you know like you know look at me i'm so strong but he doesn't have maturity you know he's led around by base impulses and desires and then she can manipulate him with her charm by posing and then he's helpless uh, against her tactics there and you know it sounds like in proverbs uh, is it chapter seven about how solomon looks at a simple-minded guy he sees among the simple ones a man devoid of understanding and then he encounters a woman now of course no one's saying that there's anything wrong with relations between 
being a husband and wife here, but it sounds like it's like you take that guy who's devoid of understanding, who's led around by impulses, and you take the woman seducing him in the street, and then just, oh, this is how they act together when they're married, you know, and she can lead him around as long as she's, you know, not verbalizing things, you know, not challenging him on things, but through her subtle actions, she can manipulate him. And, you know, we'll see this later on with the way Debbie will expect women to submit to the base male impulses, you know, pretty much unconditionally. And that the only way a woman has to lead him out of problems is through her, you know, charm. <laughs> so we'll see that in the this next section here as she answers a question entitled The Desperate Wife. <laughs> But let's wait till the next episode to get into that, because we're just barely scratching the surface, and we're going to just see how far the rabbit hole goes with Debbie Pearl's book, Created to Be His Helpmeet. So if this is helpful to you, I would encourage you to stick around for next week's episode as we continue our series on marriage and our series within the series discussing Debbie Pearl's book. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 